do-overs, outtakes. takes multiple takes sometimes to get a line right or a scene right. And um, For example, in Karate Kid 3, it took uh, Jackie Chan 200 times, two full days of filming, to get this one scene with a tennis ball just correctly. And uh, we see it in TV shows, we see it in movies uh, like Karate Kid 3. And it, to get a scene right, it, it, takes, it takes a few tries. It takes multiple takes to get it just right. And I think likewise in life, it takes multiple takes. It, it takes uh, a handful of tries to kind of get life right. And just like in TV shows and, and in movies, no actress or actress gets their lines or their stunts right the first try, and no writer gets their story right on the first draft. And they need another draft, and just like in life. And we're in a, in a series of teachings here called Living a Better Story. And uh, uh, this morning is the last segment of Living a Better Story. And we began the series, if you remember, about a month ago, back in June. The first uh, part was talking about to live a better story, we need to have God as the main character. Uh, a story doesn't work. Our, our lives don't work. They don't get better when we're the main character. And God needs to be the main character. And then the second week, we talked about great stories and great lives have memorable scenes. And for us to recall them, as it says in Psalm, if you remember that, to recall the many great things, the many miracles that God has done for us. And a part of living a better story is recalling that and being thankful. And then uh, initiating more memorable scenes uh, in the days ahead. And in the third week, John Diddy talked about connecting with others, the importance of friends and family and living a better story. And then last week, I talked about a great story and a great life requires us to talk honestly with God and to embrace weakness and struggle. Get the foundation to this whole thing. And it's fitting that we're actually concluding this series uh, with this talk. Next week, we begin a new series in the book of Daniel. I invite you to come to that. If you're new to Maple Grove Covenant Church, I invite you to come to, as we kick off a, a new series next week in the book of Daniel. But the foundation to living a better story is that we need to accept that. It takes multiple tries in life. That we need a take-two. That we need a do-over. We need outtakes uh, to do life. I met with a young couple several years ago. And I met with them to plan and officiate their wedding. And, and as I was talking with this young couple, uh, it, it seemed to me that the, the young man in, in the couple um, was actually quite distant in our conversations. And it came out in our meetings together that he felt, that he sensed that God had given up on him. He grew up in a very religious home, and when he had his chance during college to make his own decisions, he went against his parents' strict standards, the kind of standards he grew up with and he felt were suffocating. He went against that, and he went against God's own standards, and he, in fact, got arrested one time. Went to treatment for 30 days. Yet after college, after college, his life turned around. His, his story got better. He got serious. He got a very good job. And despite the change for the better, what really, really bothered him, though, kind of in those quiet moments of life, is that he, he, con he continued to think about God giving up on him. That because he made these bad choices in college and that he knew better during that time. He kept making mistake after mistake after mistake. And whenever he thought about that, that he knew better, he sensed that God had given up on him because he did something wrong and he did it anyways. 
He was absolutely convinced that God had given up and had never returned. And we talked about that in our conversations. This past week, it was late. I wasn't able to sleep, and I caught Charlie and the Chocolate Factory uh, on cable. And Willy Wonka, just uh, brilliantly portrayed by Johnny Depp, uh, this is a really interesting movie on a number of levels. But anyways, there's this one scene where he has these flashbacks about his father, if you remember that, in the movie. He has these flashbacks. And one particular flashback that he has, it, it's when his, his father uh, tells him that he, he can't have chocolate, he can't have candy. And, and little Willy Wonka, with a suitcase in his hand, says, I'm leaving. I'm going to go out and have chocolate. And his father says this, don't expect us to be here when you return. I think in a lot of ways, as I was talking to this young man in his wedding, that he felt the same way. That God was not there when he returned. When he finally kind of got serious about life, that, that the house was vacant. And I think for a lot of us, we feel it at times. But we should know better. That, that we, we should get it right the first time. It should only take one or two takes, but not like 20, to do life. We view God in that way. When we leave to make our own choices, that he won't be there when we return. And perhaps you can identify with the story. You can identify with the story of this young man that I was going to officiate his wedding. You've done things you're ashamed of. In fact, you may have a dark, deep secret bottle inside you right now. You try not to think about it, but you live in fear. You live in fear that that perhaps somebody's going to find you out. And, and maybe you were once, at one time, a regular part of our church community, but no more. You sense, like a lot of people, that God might not tolerate a person like you. You felt that God has given up on you and, ha- and hasn't fully returned. Yet to live a better story, to live a better life, is to live out the truth, to believe it, to embody it, to actually live it out that God hasn't given up on you, that it takes multiple takes. To do life requires do-overs. And this morning, before I kind of jump into the scriptures and talk about this, I want to invite you um, to kind of embrace this and to give yourself some space, give yourself some slack when it comes to life, because I think we have very high expectations about how we are supposed to do life and that we're supposed to do better. This morning, as we talk about do-overs, as we talk about take two, uh, editing your life, living a better story, um, requires second chances, I want to talk about three people. The first is a cell phone. No, just kidding. The first is, is Peter. The first is Peter. So if you have a Bible this morning, I'd like to invite you to turn to Luke chapter 22. And if you don't have a Bible, you can uh, go ahead and turn to that. Luke 22, we're going to go to verse uh, 54. And um, I'm going to use the New International Version. So if, as you're turning that in, in your Bible or maybe on your Android or your iPad or your iPhone, Luke chapter 22 in uh, Luke records a story about Peter. And, and Peter is probably the best-known disciple and, and probably the closest to Jesus. And, and some scholars hold that actually Peter was probably the oldest of the 12. Probably oldest of the 12 disciples and was the sort of unofficial spokesman for the group. 
And, and while he had a mercurial personality, um, he was intensely loyal to Jesus for much of, the, of their friendship. Yet, as we find in, in Luke 22, that kind of changes, and he becomes a tragic moral failure. Luke 22, verse 54. Then seizing him, they led him away and took him into a house of the high priest. This is Jesus. This is the, the arrest. This is right before the crucifixion. Peter followed at a distance. But when they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and had sat down together, Peter sat down with them. A servant girl saw him seated there in the firelight. She looked closely at him and said, This man was with him, but he denied it. Woman, I don't know him, he said. A little later, someone else saw him and said, You are one of them. Man, I am not, Peter replied. About an hour later, another asserted, Certainly this fellow was with him, for he is a Galilean. Peter replied, Man, I don't know what you're talking about. Just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed. The Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. Then Peter remembered the word of the Lord had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows today, you will disown me three times. Verse 62, And he went outside and wept bitterly. As you look at this, there's three different denials. And that last denial, um, in verse 60, uh, that last denial was loud. It was loud enough for the crowd to pick up his accent. The guy notices, he says, he's Galilean. And, and the accent was a dead giveaway. Peter wasn't from their part of the country. He was from the north. Galilee was from the north. And last week, I mentioned that Janiel and I went on vacation to Arkansas a couple weeks ago. And I went to a coffee house a couple of my mornings there, and uh, my first morning went to this coffee house and ordered a coffee, and I knew it. as soon as I started to speak, people would kind of look at me weirdly, you know? And I think I said something like, what do you got there, you know? And all of a sudden, it was like everything, like the music stopped, everybody looked at me, and they're like, you're not from here. <laughs> Are you from Canada? So... But that's what we see here with Peter. It's kind of like this, this guy isn't from their part of the country. He's, he's from, the, from the north. And Peter denied. He denied that he knew Jesus three times. He cursed, it says. He cursed and swore that he even knew him. And, and, and Peter betrayed a good friend. And if you were Jesus there, let's imagine that for a moment. Would you write off a friend like Peter? How quick would we move to remove that person from our lives? I think there's something about... The, the human condition, that we tend to write people off so that our, our lives in comparison seem better. When things get tough in our lives, we can at least say, well, I'm not as bad as so-and-so. But this is a very grim episode in Peter's life. And we read here in verse 62, he wept bitterly. Just the weight of blowing that scene, blowing the lines, blowing the episode in this important part of Jesus' life, when he really needed a friend. And Peter must have really wondered if there was any hope for him. He messed up. He didn't get that particular scene right. And if you think about it right here, at this point, he, he's no, no better than Judas, who also betrayed Jesus. Yet, the story of Christ and the story of Christianity and living a better story, there are do-overs. There are multiple takes. We don't get it right every time. After Jesus' resurrection, he goes looking for Peter. I'd like to invite you to turn to John. It's to your right. John chapter 21. 
It's just a great passage. It's very vivid as John uh, tells the story. John chapter 21. We're going to look at verses 4 and 9 and verses 15 through 17. So this is after the resurrection, early in the morning. This is the first Easter. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore. The disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. Verse 5, he called out to them, friends, have you any, any fish? Let's move ahead to verse 9. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. If you remember back to Luke chapter 22, the aroma of the denial is charcoal. There's a charcoal fire, Luke notes, when Peter denies. Of our senses, the sense of smell is the one that is the most memorable. I don't think it's any coincidence that Jesus, the teacher, has a charcoal fire going on at this Easter morning breakfast as he's about to reinstate Peter. You imagine, as Peter makes his way to the shore, smells the charcoal and what sort of memory would would come up probably the denial and we see the charcoal fire here with fish on it and some bread and i know the fish were walleye i know that for sure verse uh, verse 15 when they had finished eating jesus said to simon peter and this is the the statements of reinstatement here simon son of john do you truly love me more than these Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Perhaps in your margin, you just write do-over. It's giving Peter a do-over. It's just an amazing scene. I mean, Jesus has every right here to kind of, you know, be frustrated. And say, Peter, I spent three years with you. Every day we camped together. I invested in you. I modeled, you know, the way for you. I mentored you. And in my moment, I really needed you. You weren't there. He doesn't do that. Flex grace. John writes in chapter 1, verse 14, Jesus Christ, full of grace and truth. He's full of grace. A do-over. Another chance, another take at life. And we read in the book of Acts, just maybe a few weeks after this, that Peter preaches the first Christian sermon in the history of the world. And his, the, the theme of that sermon in the book of Acts is on forgiveness. It's on grace. It takes multiple takes to get it right. The second person I want to talk about this morning is, uh, it's subtitled in Bibles as the woman, woman caught in adultery. Let's turn to John chapter 8, to the left. And John chapter 8, we're actually going to start with verse 1. In some Bibles, maybe in your Bible, you'll see this, but some manuscripts don't have this story. The earliest ones don't have this in there. And some scholars believe 
that the early church actually added the story later after some of those early manuscripts because the story was so well-known orally. And it was so popular in terms of what Jesus does here. John chapter 8, verse 1. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives, verse 2. At dawn he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down <clears throat> excuse me, to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now, what do you say? This is a very demeaning and humiliating scene for this woman. We can assume that this woman was probably caught the night before. It's dawn, as we read here in verses 1 and 2 probably caught the night before and held until dawn so that they could test and, and sort of trap Jesus. And her, her fear would have been great. Putting her in the midst of a crowd would have added public shame. I mean, look at verse 5. Look what they say. Such women. It's very demeaning because the law of Moses actually stated that a man and a woman caught in adultery were to be put to death only after a trial. So they're kind of even breaking the law of Moses themselves. Uh, as they try to trap Jesus. Let's take a look at verses 6 through 11. They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, If any one of you is without sin, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. Kind of see the scene here in the Passion of the Christ. A very poignant scene. He draws a line across the sand and begins to write in it. And the Pharisees and the teachers of the law have the stones in their hands. They're ready to put her to death. And Jesus begins to write. Verse 8 Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time. The older ones first kind of the sound of the rocks hitting the ground uh, of these men letting go of their stones. Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? Verse 11. No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. It's an amazing scene of forgiveness. It's an amazing scene of second chances as he lifts her up off the ground. It says in Proverbs that the godly fall down seven times, but they rise again. And to live a better story is to get back up. Is to get back up, to rise again. Look at the scene here, and nothing would have pleased the scribes and Pharisees than to have Jesus condemn her and sentence her to death. That was their hope, their expectation. And, and maybe deep inside of us, too, that's kind of our expectation when someone blows it. They don't deserve it. They did nothing to earn it. And maybe that's sort of our posture towards ourselves, too, when, when we fall down and when we make a mistake, is that we don't deserve another chance. We don't deserve a do-over. What we see in John 8 is a chance 
to try it again. I think sometimes as we think about forgiveness and think about grace, um, it's very hard for us to remove effort, to remove earning something. When someone says that someone deserves grace, it's actually a contradiction in terms. That someone deserves grace. It's a contradiction in terms. For grace to be grace, there's no earning, there's no deserving. This reminds me of a story a while ago. I was having breakfast with a friend of mine. He was a senior at Minnetonka High School, and, and it was early that morning we were having breakfast together. And he was uh, just a really gifted leader for the Fellowship of Christian Athletes, FCA. And was just doing a, an amazing job at that particular high school. And we were having breakfast together at Barley's and talking about his ministry. And as we were having breakfast, uh, he noticed that there was an older gentleman there that was a volunteer in FCA at the chapter at Manitonka High School. And waved at him and, and said hi and just a couple brief exchanges. And we continued our conversation and just had a wonderful time talking about FCA and talking about his ministry and talking about um, uh, what this young leader was trying to do to really uh, model the way of Christ. And then we finished our breakfast, and he had to get, to, get off to the school. And we noticed that our waitress hadn't brought our check. And we kind of waved her down, and she came over. And we said, you know, where's our check? We need to go now. And she said, you don't owe anything. That, that older, older gentleman there, he paid for your breakfast. And it wasn't a lot. And if I had known he was going to pay for the meal, I would have ordered like 10 pancakes or something, a bunch of bacon. But it wasn't like a big bill. But this young leader and I were just kind of sat there. And all of a sudden, like reflexively, we just began to think about well, how, what can we do? What can we do you know, back to him? What, what can we do to kind of, you know, pay him back or, or, or to be generous back to him? And he, he began to think about, maybe I, next time I see him at the next event, I can, I can, you know, bring him something or, you know, it's like this, you know, kind of go down that route. And, and finally, I just kind of came to my senses and I, sa- I said, you know, um, this is grace. Grace pays the bill. Uh, there's nothing that we're to do. In fact, it would ruin it if we tried to like outdo them on the next, you know, generosity or something. We just need to accept it. And it was interesting to me how much we kind of struggle with that, just to accept it, just to receive it. That grace pays the bill. And that's the idea in, in Jesus' last words on the cross. It is finished. Um, those words in the Greek means it's paid in full. Grace pays the bill. Grace affords us a second chance. Gives us another opportunity. Gives us a do-over. Gives us a take-two. And that's living a better story is understanding that and believing it and living that out. John Orberg writes this, if there is one way that human beings consistently underestimate God's love, it is perhaps in his loving longing to forgive. If there is one way that human beings consistently underestimate God's love, it is perhaps in his loving longing to forgive.
talked about Peter. He talked about the woman caught in adultery. The third person is you. For you to live a better story. That's where you need to begin. Is accepting this forgiveness. Accepting this grace. Accepting what God has given to you. Receiving that. Do you feel that God is against you? Do you feel like the gods are angry with you? And perhaps you feel like you're a failure, like that opening story, because you just don't live up to certain expectations. And maybe it's your, 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 yourself, or maybe it's your, your parents back in the day, or, or maybe it's the expectations at work, and somehow that, that sort of got transitioned into life expectations for you on morality. And every time you make a mistake, and every time that you fall down, it's just like, I should know better. And perhaps you feel like there's a gap. You feel like God is becoming more distant, and that you fear that when you return, he won't be home. And maybe you need more than a second chance. And, and maybe you need more than a, a take two. What you really need to live a better story is a savior. That God gave his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross, to give his life to you. To, to pay the bill in full to make a payment with his life. And for you to receive that and come into a faith relationship with Jesus Christ, it's the best decision you can make. To live a better story needs to begin with that. Begin with a Savior who gave his life full of grace and truth, who reaches down and pulls you up every single time. And he knows the full content of your sin, and yet he doesn't condemn you. To live a better story, we need a Savior, and to have trust and faith in him. Perhaps you're here this morning, and as I began to talk about grace, you're maybe yawning a little bit, politely, and thinking, I've heard this a gazillion times. I've read so-and-so book on grace. And maybe for you to, to live a better story is to embody grace. To embody grace towards others. The same do-overs, the same second chances that God gives to you, you need to offer that to other people. Even when they've made perhaps decisions that don't sort of earn your response in your mind, is to give them another chance to actually be a person of grace. What if each of us did that here? There are several people in this church community in the last handful of months that I've had the privilege to actually watch in action as they're doing that, as they've embodied grace, as they have chosen intentionally to live in such a way to offer chances to people, to help people in need, not judging, not evaluating, and not, not sort of concluding if a person deserves grace, but they actually they just, they just give it. They just live it out. And as I've been preparing for this sermon and getting ready for this teaching, that's my prayer for our church, is to continue with that, to be a collection of individuals, a collection of people who intentionally choose to embody and live out grace. And it's great to see that already happening, but let's continue in that. As we live a better story 
as a church community. Because one of the most appealing parts of a church, I believe, one of the most appealing parts of a church community is when grace is so apparent. Let me pray. Father God, we give thanks this morning for your word. And God, help us as individuals, help us as a church to be people of grace. And to do that, we need each other and we need you. So we pray that you would continue to work in and through our lives. And God, I, I sense for, for some folks, there's, there's some tough work here ahead around coming to you and, and embracing forgiveness, embracing grace. I just pray that you continue to work on their hearts. God, as well, for, for us just to be able to reflect that. Help us to look at tomorrow morning, Monday morning, just beginning with words of grace towards individuals. People that perhaps we have a history with, there's, there's tension, or there's some stuff way back when. Help us to, to seek to live a better story simply by, by speaking words of grace. And as we do, that your name will be glorified. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.